in the last message of the Upgrade uh, Your Christian Life series. And as I was coming to the end of this series and thinking about what the last message needed to be on, I, I thought about the fact that God's Word is so incredibly real and honest that you know it's true. I mean, it does not hide the warts and the flaws of our heroes in the faith. None of them were perfect. None of them were beyond sin. But they made progress, and they kept on a path toward the Lord. You know, we know that Abraham lied about Sarah, and we know that David sinned with Bathsheba, and and we know that Moses lost his temper, which is, by the way, the only thing you can lose and get back is your temper. If your wife is nudging you right now, it's, there's a reason for that. We know that John Mark got homesick. We know that Peter denied Jesus. But these are still people that had a remarkable impact on our lives as we've read their stories. One of the reasons I know the Bible is true because it's honest. It doesn't tell me that there is a life possible where I can never have to deal with life. You have to deal with life, but there's an ability to overcome. And backsliding doesn't have to be the norm. It can be the exception. The problem is for many people, backsliding is the norm. They get up and then they get down. They get high and then they get low. And, but, but the key to an upgraded life is not in a method. It's not in a gimmick. It's not in a program. It's not in some preacher that you listen to and is your favorite preacher. The, the key to an upgraded life is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you and I want to get out of the up and down roller coaster Christianity and backsliding and always feeling like we've blown it so bad, can we even go back to church? Can, will people even accept us? If we ever going to get out of that kind of life, then we need to understand that there's more to the Christian life than most of us are living in and experiencing. William Hodgkins, a missionary to Africa, said, I have dwelt 40 years practically alone in Africa. I have been 39 times stricken with fever, three times attacked by lions, and several times by rhinoceros. But let me say, I would gladly go through the whole thing again if I could have the joy of again bringing that word Savior and flashing it into the darkness that envelops another tribe in Central Africa. Here is a man who obviously had some tough circumstances. Living the Christian life, living for Jesus was not easy for him. And yet he had an overcoming attitude and he had a, an upgraded life because he realized that the adversities and the problems and the setbacks were nothing compared to what Christ had done for him and what he had seen Christ do in the lives of other people. Why would we go share a gospel if it do, couldn't change lives? 
The gospel is a life-changing message. It's good news. But sometimes I find, especially as we get older, I I remember when I surrendered to to full-time Christian service, uh, one of the ladies in the church, you know, one of the saints with the hat pins and everything else, and, you know, she came up to me and she grabbed me on the cheek like this. And when, don't ever do that to me. I just surrendered full-time Christian service or I would have hurt her. (laughs) This is what she said to me. I've never, I don't remember anything else. You remember Tom Ellis' message on the curse of words? I don't remember anything else that a hundred other people said to me that day, but this is what I remember. She shook my cheek and she said, don't worry, Sonny, you'll get over it. Well, I'm 58 and I hadn't gotten over it yet. And I don't plan to get over it. And you don't have to get over what God did in your life. I don't know why Jesus loved me, but I'm glad he did. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful that the love of God reached down and touched me because I was a sinner on my way to hell. And I deserve to go there. I still deserve to go there. The only reason I'm not going to go there is because of the grace of God that found me in my lostness. And convicted me of my sin and said, my son came so that you didn't have to go to hell. And and so I I find sometimes as we get older and we lose our youthful zeal, if you will, or our idealism, that in some ways, if we're not careful, and it can happen when you're 20 or 80, in some ways we begin to be like an old battleship. Once fired up and ready to go, once the engines were humming, once the guns were loaded and there were thousands of crewmen on board and ready to go into the heat of battle, ready to smell the smoke of the battle, ready to do business and to win the victory, but now sitting, guns no longer able to fire, beside a shore and nothing but a tourist attraction. The crew long dispersed, the shells long gone, and the ship no longer effective. There are a lot of Christians like that. They used to be on fire for God, but now they're kind of in mothballs, just awaiting the end, serving no purpose, sensing no responsibility, having no sense of urgency for the life that God has called them to live. They just kind of bide their time. Oh, they still come to church even. They may even read their Bible, but there's no power. There's no joy. There's no victory. They've settled for less than God intended for them. Now, we've talked about upgrades in this series, and uh, I got to tell you, I had an upgraded experience this week. Uh, When I flew out uh, to do the funeral in Oklahoma this week, they sent a private jet for me. Now, I just want to tell you, I've only been on a private jet one other time, but I'm like Will Smith in Independence Day. I got to get me one of these. (laughs) I mean, you pull your car up, you just hand your luggage out. Nobody does a body scan on you. 
You don't feel violated when you get through. I mean, you get up, they've got sandwiches and Cokes iced down. The leather seats reclined all the way back. And instead of a two-hour layover in Atlanta, flying out of Albany, you're in Oklahoma City in two hours. And we were home, and I was in my living room in less than two hours. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I can't fly. I know the rumor has been since 90 that I have an airplane. <laughs> Believe me, if I did, I'd talk about it a lot. <clears throat> but now, if any of you feels led <laughs> to make an investment in this pastor's life, I'm sure it's tax deductible. <laughs> Just kidding. But you know, there's a difference in flying on a Citation jet, private six-passenger jet, and flying in the back of an ASA jet. I stretch my legs all the way out. You, you know, I mean, there's just no such thing as leg room anymore. Americans are, are growing and seats are shrinking on airplanes. And, and there's just a difference. It's amazing. So why, if you could travel first class in the Christian life, would you decide to take the bus and stop at every town along the way and have to wait and eat out of snack machines when God's prepared a buffet for you? See, God's got more for you than maybe you're living up to. Gordon MacDonald, in his book on spiritual passion, talks about a man who hired some native guides in Africa to take them on, on a trip. And so the, the man wanted to go at a fast pace to get to his destination. And so they went at the pace that the guide that the man wanted to go to. But on the second day, the natives refused to move. And they would not get up and they would not get going. And this man became impatient with them. And so he asked the translator, what's the problem? And here's what the translator said. The natives say that we traveled fast yesterday. Today we wait for our souls to catch up with our bodies. In that life, I mean, it's busy, it's hectic, you're going here, you're going there, you're running here, you're running there, you're always trying to upgrade to get a higher speed on the internet. Why? We're busy and we're barren. We're worn out. We got more conveniences than any generation, any place on the planet. We've got all these conveniences and yet we never seem to get the right things done. We're always doing the wrong things or obsessed with the wrong things. And, and it's easy to get out of balance. Very easy to get out of balance. It's easy to put the work before the word. It's easy to put performance before prayer. It's easy for me to get out of balance. One of the reasons I take study breaks and sabbaticals is when you're responsible for doing at least two messages a week, and you try to spend 15 to 20 hours on each message, you got to have some time to get away sometimes because the busyness of ministry can cause you to not have a word from God. Amen. And so I take breaks, not because I feel like I need it just to have a change of pace, but I need it so I, my soul can catch up with my body. And I can be fresh with the Lord and where I need to be. So that when I deliver the word, I'm not running ahead of God.
Have you noticed Jesus? I mean, have you ever just read the Gospels? You know, Jesus started a worldwide ministry. He had a public ministry for maybe three and a half years. And he had a worldwide ministry. And he had a ragtag group of followers that guys didn't even like each other to begin with. He had zealots and fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, not the group that you'd get on, you know, on your board of directors. And yet he changed the world in three and a half years. Those 12 men, which became 11, those men spread the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ around the world, and the world was closer to knowing God on that day than it is today. Now, how did he do it? Well, I'll tell you how he did it. He walked a lot. 75% of the ministry of Jesus took place in Galilee. And so when you got to walk for days and days and days to get somewhere, you just kind of walk and talk. And so as you are going, that's what the Great Commission talks about. As you're going, make disciples. So for three years, he's just pouring into these guys. He's just talking to them. You know, Jesus didn't have breakfast in Jerusalem, lunch in Damascus, and supper in Rome. He never traveled more than 75 miles from the place where he was born. And yet he changed the world. We go around the world and change nothing. Here's Jesus who was never in a hurry. Jesus didn't look at his watch and say, hmm, got to go. Got another appointment. He was constantly interrupted by people who came and said, my daughter is sick. By somebody who touched the hem of his garment. By a blind man who said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. By two disciples that wanted to be in positions of power. He was constantly interrupted and yet he stayed on task. Why? Because he maintained his relationship with his father. The one thing that the disciples saw him do that impressed them more than anything else was not raising the dead, not giving sight to the blind. It was that he prayed. And it's easy for us to live weary lives. Now, we're in 1 John. All of that was introduction, so the message is going to have to move pretty quick. 1 John has reminded us of several things before we get to chapter 2 and verse 24. First of all, he's reminded us that no one is beyond sin. I met a man one time who told me he hadn't sinned in 20 years. I wanted to just hit his hand with a hammer and step on his toes and see if he responded. <laughs> Secondly, when we do sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer in heaven. Thirdly, we have an enemy. <laughs> we have an enemy who is out to defeat us. Antichrist is coming. That's what the Bible says. Fourthly, we live in a world that pressures us. We're under constant pressure. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're constantly being pressured to give in to this world. But then the last thing is, we are living in the last days. That's what Gary Frazier is going to talk about next week. That Jesus could come back at any moment. Now, there are three times in the Bible when you hear the devil's voice. The first time is the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, the devil slanders God to man. And so in Genesis, you hear the devil speak. In the book of Job, he slanders man to God. 
He says, the only reason Job serves you is because he's got a sweet deal with you. You take all that away from him and he'll curse you. And in Matthew, he slanders and accuses and challenges the Son of God. We are not ignorant of his devices. And so as John is writing this book, he's telling them how to walk in victory in a time when the temptations and the pressures are to cave in, to become like the world, identified with the world, thinking like the world, and how to live the life that God has for us. In other words, what John is telling them is, you got saved, now here's how not to backslide. So in verse 24 of chapter 2, I want you to notice the word abide. You'll see it six times in this chapter. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, when he comes, We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So the first thing, if I'm going to maintain an upgraded life, is that it starts with abiding. Now let me tell you what victory is not and what abiding is not. It is not once and for all. It doesn't mean there's this magic wand and all of a sudden I'm just delivered from everything. There's no place where we arrive. That'll happen after we die and we get a new body and we're in a new heaven and a new earth. All that's in the future. Secondly, it's not an emotional surge. The upgraded life is not based on emotions. God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest part of our being. It's not based on emotions. Thirdly, it's not possible without Christ's victory. In other words, you can't work it up. It's not by trying harder. It's not by doing more good works than bad. It's not by by being better. It's not by making resolutions. You can't do it without Christ's victory. And number four, it's not passive. You just don't sit there and get it by osmosis. It doesn't get absorbed into you. Uh, You are an active participant in this abiding process. Six times in these verses, he says, abide or continue, which means that salvation from beginning to end is an inside job. It's what God is doing in you that comes out through you. And so God is working in you, and it is an abiding. You don't earn it, You don't get it by being baptized. You don't get it by doing good works. It's only through Christ. And so you need to know know two things about salvation. First one, it's, it's an inward experience. It's an inward experience, but it's a personal experience. You're not saved because your grandmother was saved. You're not saved because your wife is saved. You're not saved because you go to church. 
Those are all outward things. You're saved because it's an inward, personal experience. And, and John says, that which you have heard from the beginning. What would you hear? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. That no one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That there are not many ways to God. There's one way to God. And that way to God is through Jesus Christ. And everyone who rejects Jesus Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell. Why is it hell? Because Christ is not there. It is eternal punishment for our sins, which we did not allow Christ to forgive. So you never get beyond Jesus. There are some people that think they can get beyond Jesus, but you never do. You see, here's the thing. John 3.16 is so simple that a six-year-old child can understand it and so complex that a 60-year-old Ph.D. theologian still tries to figure out what it means. Now, here's what God has done for us. First of all, he gave us the key to being fruitful. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's the key to being fruitful. If I want to have fruit, evidences of God in my life, it is through the Holy Spirit, that inward experience, the person of Christ in the Holy Spirit living inside of me, bearing fruit in my life. Secondly, it's the key to answered prayer, John 15, 7. It's the key to answered prayer. Prayer's not me twisting the mind of God and changing the mind of God. It's not me getting my will done on earth. It's getting God's will done on earth. Amen. Thirdly, it's the key to spiritual growth. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. It's the key to spiritual growth. The facts of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit is the key to you living an upgraded life. It's the key to a blessed life. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And finally, it's the key to a pure life. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. The scripture says, Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he says, continue or abide. The NIV, I think, translates it live or lives. We are to continue or abide. Let that therefore abide. It's a present imperative third person singular, which means nothing to you. But it is important because when he says, let that therefore abide, he uses abide 26 times in his writing. And what he's saying here is this is not a past decision without present results. This is a past decision, a day, a moment when you came to Christ, but it has present fruit bearing itself out right now in your life. When we abide, when we remain, when we dwell with him, we dwell in his victory. Amen. It's not our victory. It's his victory. So what did you learn from the beginning? Here's what you learned. You learned about Christ. And what was true the day it came out of the lips of Jesus is true in 2011. Amen. The old gospel is still good news. And when you try to change the gospel so it makes people feel better about themselves... You're not sharing the gospel, you're sharing heresy and error, which ultimately condemns people to hell thinking they won't go there. That's right. There's a very popular preacher. Time magazine called him the rock star of the millennial generation. He has hundreds of thousands of people who follow him. 
his new book that's coming out at the end of March, he does not state that he is a universalist, but his theology is universalism, which means there is no hell because God loves everybody so much that he's never going to let everybody be punished for his sin. If that's true, then everybody that killed the Jews at the Holocaust is going to be there because God's love. God is just. And you sin against a just and holy God, you will either pay for your sin in hell or you will accept Christ's payment for your sin and give your heart to him. There's no other option. By the way, if there's no hell, then that means heaven's going to be hell because we're going to have to live side by side in mansions with the people that flew planes into the buildings in 9-11, that the people that cut off the heads of journalists are killing Christians in the Middle East. We're going to have to live side by side with them. I got news for you. That's not heaven. That's That's hell. And we're already living in hell on earth right now. And so John says... You continue in what you heard because there are people that are going to come around and try to deceive you. Look at what he says. It's sustained by the Spirit. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Verse 27, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. Ephesians 5, 6, says, no one deceive you with empty words. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no one in any way deceive you. 1 John 2, 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. The tense of every one of those verses is there is a constant effort to deceive believers. There is a constant effort from false teachers to deceive believers, to twist the truth, to make it acceptable, to make it popular, to make it digestible, so that people will go, oh, that's great. I don't need to be holy. I don't need to depend on the Lord. I can live however I want to live, and I'll never face an accountability for it. That's not what the Bible says. You see, it's not love to tell people what they want to hear. It's love to tell people what they need to hear. You're not a loving parent if you just tell your kids what they want to hear. Mama, can I have 14 more candy bars? Sure, son, whatever you want. That's not love. Can I, can I stay out all night without telling you where I am? No problem. Just go play in the street. Make sure the traffic is heavy. That's not love. That's a lack of love. If you're about to go off a cliff, if I reach out and grab you and say, if you keep going in that direction, you're going to die. I'm doing it because I care about what happens to you. If I let you go off the cliff, then I've just been selfish because after all, I just don't want to get involved. And so John characterizes these false teachers who are trying to deceive us. Number one, he says, they pretend to be believers. By the way, just because it's in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's truth. That's why God's given you the Holy Spirit to put a check in you to say, whoa, wait a minute. I think I read something different in the Bible. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about consistent with the Word of God, that some guy doesn't take the Word of God and begin to think that he can change it to say what he wants it to say. 
They pretend to be believers. Secondly, they do not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They may have a powerful personality. They may have a winsome personality. They may be a great communicator. They may be a great speaker. They may be an incredible writer, but they don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As my friend Manly Beasley used to say, the presence of God is hard to define, but his absence is easy to detect. And let me just go on record. These guys that think that a sign of grace is they can use God's name in vain and many other words in the pulpit is a sign of their freedom in Christ. They're just as dumb as dirt. That's not a sign of grace. That's an abuse of grace. Or it's like a pastor I had once said to a guy who came in and cussed him out because he wouldn't give him any help. He said, you know, I was in the Navy for 20 years. If I couldn't cuss any better than that, I'd quit. They don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, they propagate a false gospel, chapter 2 and verse 21. They propagate a false gospel, chapter 2 and verse 21. Number four, chapter 2 and verse 22, they denied Jesus as the only way, that he is God in flesh. Number five, they reject the relationship between God the Father and God the Son which is, by the way, what every cult does. But it sometimes even happens in people that call themselves Christians. And number six, they are false prophets. They propagate a false gospel, and they are false prophets. And the Holy Spirit was given to us. Remember what Jesus said? The Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. Any book you read, mine or anybody else's, you better take it to the Word of God and see if it's consistent with the Word of God. And if it's not, throw it away. Don't sell it on eBay and try to get a dollar back. Burn it. Amen. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Because all you can do is put it in the hands of somebody else a little poison. Lastly, the soon coming of the Savior. The soon coming of the Savior. Abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence. The Word carries the idea of God's going to suddenly appear. Now, as Gary Frazier said, in which he will talk about next week, as Gary said, we don't get the minutia of the details about the coming of Jesus. We get a big picture. But here's what we know. We know he's coming. And we know that no man knows the day or the hour. Now, I got three tracks in the mail this week. I love when people feel like they need to help me. I got three tracks this week. From here in Albany, somebody sent them to me. I opened it up. I kept them for my amusement. This is what the track said. Jesus is coming back May 21st, 2011. Now, remember when Jesus was coming back September the 11th of 1999? And, every, you know, we have cult groups that have named dates, and they go up on mountains and watch for Jesus. Can I just tell you, if Jesus said no man knows the hour of the day, you can pretty much bet it's not going to be May 21st, 2011, because nobody is going to be standing in heaven, running up and down the streets of gold saying, told you, told you. Even Jesus doesn't know the hour of the day, but somebody in Albany does.
If that were true, I wouldn't pay my taxes this year. <laughs> and I'd just make a bunch of people mad, and on the 20th, I'd tell them all I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, didn't mean it. I'd go buy me a jet. I figured I could delay the payments for 90 days. <laughs> We're looking for that preacher that bought that jet. He's gone. Don't know what happened to him. He was up in the air and disappeared. <laughs> Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. And then, and then he talks about overcoming. Confidence and overcoming. In fact, of the 28 times the word overcome is found in the New Testament 24 times John uses it. He says we're to have confidence or, or bluntness or frankness it, 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 an assurance and the confidence leads verse 29 to practicing righteousness. So how do I live an upgraded life? I have confidence. I abide. I depend on the Holy Spirit and I practice righteousness. So let me give you four life lessons before we wrap up. Number one, we're all in a fight. Person sitting beside you is in a battle. I'm in a battle. You're in a battle. Everybody's in a fight. If you're not in the battle, you and the devil are going the same direction. Everybody's in a fight. Everybody's in a battle. It is a daily battle. That's why you ought to get up and you ought to ask God to give you the full armor of Christ out of Ephesians 6 every day. Because you need it because you're in a battle. Secondly, we need to have a plan of action. We need to have a plan of action. If you see yourself slipping, have a way that you know you're going to get back. Just stop it right where it is. Don't continue to go further and further away because it gets harder and harder to come back. Amen. Thirdly, the key is abiding. And by the way, wrapped around the word abide are words like submit to God and resist the devil. When I abide in him and he is in me, then I am submitting to him and surrendering to him. And then I am able in his power through the Holy Spirit to resist the devil. And then lastly, in submitting to his lordship, I find guidance and strength to fight. The real issue in the upgraded life is lordship. You see, when Jesus is Lord, it means he's boss. It means he's not second and trying to be first or first and got a big competition coming from second place. It means there's no competition. He's Lord of my life. And to do that, he has to be Lord every day. I do make a decision at some point to say, Lord, I'm going to make you the master, the boss, the ruler of my life. But then on a daily basis, I have to say, Lord, I'm still committed to doing that. And on the basis of you having control of my life, as I live this day, as I walk through this day, as I face the obstacles and the battles of this day, I'm going to need your help through the Holy Spirit to be able to not only to resist, but to overcome. Not just to get by, but to be victorious. That's where God's trying to take you. He wants you to live an upgraded life. Now let me ask you something. 
If you were to leave Albany this afternoon and say, I need to go to Los Angeles, and I would offer you a first-class ticket to go to Los Angeles, and in this hand, I would say, and here's a bus ticket on a bus that Greyhound is about to retire because it's got too many miles on it. Uh, it's going to break down about 14 times before you get to Los Angeles, probably in the middle of the desert. You're going to have to wait for a tow truck to take you in, and it's going to take you in, and the bus station is going to be 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're not going to have a, the bathrooms are not going to be working, and you're not going to be able to brush your teeth. You're not going to be able to change your clothes. You're not going to be able to put on any deodorant. You're going to sit by somebody who's been sweating since they left Albany. Which ticket would you like? Say, well, I'm afraid to fly. Hey, just get on the plane. Because <laughs> that other trip's not going to be any fun. God made you to soar. Don't settle when you can soar. Thank you for joining us for Path to Truth. That was Pastor Kat's sermon, The Key to an Upgraded Life. You can order this message by going to our bookstore at sherwoodbaptist.net slash bookstore. You can also send us your prayer request by going to sherwoodbaptist.net slash prayer. Thank you again for joining us for Path to Truth.